Today we're finishing this series with a message, an important message on racism. You say, Pastor, why are we talking about that? Because I think it's another key point or anchor point for the body of Christ, one which we have not successfully handled well in the past. And I want to talk about that today because God's word has stuff to say about racism. There, there are some very important things to consider about racism. And it's definitely a hot topic, um, not only because of our history um, that we are in currently, but our, our history that we, our past history of slavery and of discrimination. It's a hot topic because of those things. It's a hot topic because of more than that, that we still are dealing 50 plus years past the civil rights movement with racism. It's important for us to understand that there is nothing more abominable or obscene in the history of our great nation than race-based slavery. It's a scar and a stain on our history. The first part of this message today, I'm going to help you, and I, I've asked before who's a history buff, and I don't get many hands. I'm not going to ask that today. I'm just going to spout out the details and make you a history buff because I want to give you some insight into our past because we need to understand the past in order to shape the future. Amen? It's a hot topic because of our geographic location. You say, Pastor, well, yeah, we're in the southern United States. Yes. Mississippi is one of 11 states that seceded from the Union 161 years ago. In order, I want you to listen to me closely in order to preserve the institution of slavery. That's why 11 states said, we don't want to be part of you anymore because you're trying to take away this thing. In fact, a direct quote, which you may, I hope, be sickened by, by Mississippi State's Secession Convention. This is their quote. Our position is thoroughly identified with the institution of slavery, which is the greatest material interest of the world. That's heartbreaking when you think about it. That the people who are coming together to say, we don't want to be part of the union, were saying, we've got to protect this material interest. And it had to do with owning people. That's sick. And I think it's sick sickens the heart of God as well. It's a hot topic because of our current culture as well. I don't know if you uh, have watched the news, if you've heard of any of the recent things that have gone on with something called critical race theory, but you understand that there have been details and events that have happened over the last several years that include wrongful death, that include riots, that include all sorts of injustice. And you say, well, pastor, that hasn't touched me. I'm not a racist. What, what do I have to listen to this for today? 
Because there, is two, there are two actions at the end of this message. There is the action of either asking God to forgive you for any type of bent in your heart towards racism or to ask God to help you forgive anyone who has committed an act or proceeded to behave in a way that was racist towards you. Forgiveness is the first step. It really, truly is. But listen to me when I say it's a hot topic because of the current culture that we're in. There's this push for something called critical race theory. It hasn't invaded my Christian school that my children attend just yet, but it is rapidly being pushed everywhere else. And for those of you that don't know, I'll give you the Cliff's Notes version of what it is. It teaches that the most important thing about you is your race. I want you to think about that for a second. Because you may say, well, that, how, how is that a bad thing? That's not such a bad thing, right? Hold on. If the most important thing about me is the color of my skin, then I will never be able to live in the world that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. dreamed of where his four little children would one day be judged by the content of their character and not just the color of their skin. And here's, here's another thought that I've had. If I had, uh, I do this intentionally every Sunday, I peel off the, the bottle label just because I don't like to look at it and I don't think it looks professional and whatever. Do you guys recognize these bottles? You've seen them, you've drank out of them. They usually have a label on them. On the front side, it has the name of the company and on the back side, it has tiny little writing on the label for where it was, you know, sourced from or whatever the fact is. If I'm holding the bottle like this and you are the one seeing the label, what I need to do in order to fully understand this product is I've got to get on the other side of it to be able to see it like you see it. And I think for a long time, we in the American church have had a lack of understanding and we have not sought to actually truly understand what goes on in these moments of dire need in our country when it comes to the idea of racism and being judged or discriminated upon based on your race. Critical race theory basically says you are not the sum total of your beliefs, your behavior, your background, your value, your environment, you are nothing more than the color of your skin. You are only your race. And so the underlying theme that happens in social interactions is you have two choices. You're either the victim or the victimizer. That's it. So they're pushing this in our education system. They're pushing it from political platforms. They're pushing it in entertainment of every degree. And it's dangerous and toxic to brainwash the next generation with this thought that they are either a victim or a victimizer. You know what it does? It erodes the inalienable rights that we so closely adhere to here in this country. Because it says I'm nothing more than just the color of the melanin in my skin. I bet you didn't realize this. But since its founding in 1829, the Democratic Party and its cohorts have defended slavery. 
They started the civil war. They opposed reconstruction of those 11 states that were involved in seceding from the union. Members of the Democratic Party are the ones who founded the KKK. They are the ones who imposed... This is all factual. You can find it when you look for it. They imposed segregation. They perpetrated lynchings. And they fought against every civil rights act of the 50s and 60s. Say, well, pastor, I didn't know that. When I think of issues having to deal with racism, I sure think of the champions that I know of publicly, which seem to be from that same party. But here, in direct contrast, the Republican Party was founded as an anti-slavery party. In fact, we'll talk about Lincoln and his assassination. The reason why he was assassinated is because somebody was really upset that he was about to free and was interested in making sure that every man, woman, and child in this country was free. In 1859, a book was published that sought to undermine the historical biblical account of creation. And we probably have heard of the title before, But I guarantee you, you've never heard the full title. It was written by a man named Charles Darwin. We talked about evolution last week. The title of the book, the full title, is On the Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection, which most people have heard that part. But I want you to read the rest of his title. And the Preservation of Favored Races in the struggle for life. His cousin is the father of something called eugenics, which is basically the origin point and the belief and ideology that Planned Parenthood became known for because it was all about selecting the best and getting rid of those unfavorables. Darwin wasn't the first to propose biological arguments for racism. He really wasn't. There were other people who were involved in this process, but his works have fueled some of the most ugly and deadly racism that the world has ever known. He theorized in his second book, The Descent of Man, he theorized that man evolved from primates into various races, with some races obviously his own being more developed than others. He used words like degenerate and pygmy, savage, low, degraded, those who were not like him. So you say, well, pastor, why is racism still around? Because it's deeply embedded in the heart of the sick, sin-sick world that we live in. And it is something that we must combat. In fact, We no longer have someone involved in the life of our church who thought it would be funny every once in a while to spout racist jokes. And I heard it and said, no, no more. That is not okay. You cannot judge somebody based on the color of their skin. It's anti-biblical, and I would dare say it is anti-God. I grew up in the South I have uncles who drive trucks with Confederate flags on them. You think, oh, well, you're just a Jersey boy. No, I've got deep Southern roots. I know. I've heard all the stories. 
I've been around the discrimination. I've experienced it as a high schooler in New Jersey, in an urban area of New Jersey, where I was seeing it firsthand. I was the recipient sometimes of racism, if you believe that. It's not just white against black. It's anyone against anyone. Hello? I know you shouldn't say amen. You should say yes. <laughs> That's good. Don't, amen means so be it. Don't, don't say so be it right now. Okay. Biological arguments have been around for a while. But in 1865, I'm giving you a chronological history, okay? Democratic Party founded in 1829, 1859, Charles Darwin writes his book, his first one. Here comes 1865, President Abraham Lincoln, a Republican, was assassinated by a registered Democrat. And his vice president, this was very unique in the time, and I don't know that we've had very many other scenarios like this, him being the presidential candidate as a Republican had a Democratic opposite party candidate as his vice president. So when he gets shot, who becomes the president but the vice president? He is a Democrat. His name was Andrew Johnson. He became the 17th president. During those days, Andrew Johnson was a rabid racist. You can look this up and find out. He and all of his cohorts, mostly of the Democratic Party, opposed the 13th Amendment, the 14th Amendment, and the 15th. Let me tell you what those amendments represent. The 13th Amendment abolished slavery. They were opposed to it. The 14th Amendment, it helped black people gain full citizenship. They were opposed to it. And the 15th Amendment granted voting rights to black people. They were opposed to all three of these amendments. Why do I mention these political parties? Am I telling you who to vote for tomorrow? No. In fact, if you're paying attention, we don't have anything to vote for tomorrow. But there's going to be one soon, I'm sure of it. And I'm not telling you that Jesus is a this or a that. I am trying to point out to you that all three of these amendments passed to the Constitution because of universal, unanimous support by the Republicans in order for there to have this identity, them to stay close to this identity, that all men were created equal. That didn't change then, and it's no different now. All men and women are created equal and have inalienable rights that are given to them by God. Now that I've given you some history, and school hasn't even started yet, let me give you some biblical history. Because it's important, again, to know where we came from. Biblical history goes like this, and this is like the Cliff's Notes version, okay? Four points. Creation. That happened. God created the world. About 1,500 years later, by most estimates, the flood happens. Then within a few hundred years, the Tower of Babel. How many of you have heard that story? You remember that story from Sunday school, the Tower of Babel? We'll talk about that today. And then within about 100 or 200 years from the Tower of Babel, God calls a man named Abram to become his man on earth. And to have a people to call his own. It's pretty awesome. Go with me to Genesis chapter 11. We're going to look not at creation or the flood today. But we're going to talk about the city and the tower known as Babel. 
verse 1 of chapter 11 says this. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for, port, for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves. Hey, hey. What do you think that represents? Pride. Let us make this giant thing, this accomplishment, and let us make a name for ourselves. And then it says this, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So there are some good-hearted people that probably heard that and thought, yeah, you mean you want to build a a condominium townhouse uh, community? Great. Let's all be part of this one big effort. But there was a underlying purpose in the heart of man that wanted to make a name for themselves. Look at what it says in verse 5. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men or man had built. Verse 6, And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Look up at me and listen to me when I say this. We understand that nothing is impossible with God. Amen? But there is a statement that is here if you're paying attention to it. And God says where people have unity, nothing is impossible for them. We're the church of Jesus Christ. And if we are unified together, then I believe we can defeat things like racism wherever it hides. Verse 7, the Lord's still speaking. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. Leave that there for one second. God is talking very clearly, and we have this evidentially throughout Scripture, that every major act involved the Trinity. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were present at creation. John chapter 1 calls Jesus the Word, and that nothing was made without the Word. Genesis chapter 1 says the Spirit was hovering over the waters. And now in Genesis chapter 11, God says, let us, Father, Son, Spirit, go down and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. Verse 8, so the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. The word Babel literally means confusion. The word that they used or chose to call it literally means confusion. So we still use that today. Oh, he was just babbling on and on, or she was just babbling, like confused speech. 
So it says there, therefore it was called Babel because God confused the language of the earth and from there he dispersed them over the face of all the earth. I want to be clear about a couple things that are so important because we're still talking about a biblical worldview and we're talking about it in the context of racism today and race relations. Let's be clear about a couple things. The first thing is this. God created diversity at the Tower of Babel. He loves diversity. He is not about division. Can I get an amen? Throughout the Bible, God's about multiplication. He's about addition, periodically some subtraction, but he is not about division. Don't be on the side of division in the family of God. Amen? But God loves diversity. Not in the modern sense of the word. (laughs) You better listen to me when I say this. I'm not talking about diversity where boys can wear fingernail polish and girls can whatever. And you can change the things with the help of a doctor. No, we're not talking about that kind of diversity that shows up in corporate lingo today. What I'm talking about is something different. When you look at God's creation and you look at a giraffe and you look at a butterfly, you see a miraculous, a magnificent variety of diversity. When you look around this room, you see facial features, skin coloration, height, all these differences. God loves diversity, and so should his people. God loves diversity, and so should his people. Amen. The second thing to be clear about is God did not create new races at the Tower of Babel. You can't read the Bible and make it say what you want it to say. Okay, let me preach this to myself for a second. You can't read the Bible and make it say what you want it to say. That's been the whole point of this entire series is to make sure that we understand that we read the Bible and we base our life on it. God wasn't creating new races at the Tower of Babel. There is only one race. It's the human race. Biological adaptations have occurred according to geography, according to environment. But I'm here today in the year 2022 BC to tell you the same thing is true that you may have learned in Sunday school years ago. Red, yellow, black, and white are still precious in his sight. They always have been. It's the wicked, evil intention of the man's heart that have, that have caused us to alienate certain people. We are all one race and precious in his sight. I could preach another sermon right now about the day of Pentecost and about the supernatural dynamic of God redeeming the language and unifying his church, his kingdom with a language and removing the language barrier from the Tower of Babel that had been there. It's awesome. I'll preach it sometime for you. But let me give you eight quick points. You say, Pastor, you've talked for 15, 20 minutes so far. I'm going to give you eight points. So buckle up and let's go. Number one is this. Racism is evil. This is where you amen. Okay. Romans chapter 12 verse 9 says this. Let love be genuine. 
abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Racism, truly defined and very simply, is hatred, which is the opposite of love. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, let your love be genuine and hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. The second thing is this, racism is pure self-righteousness. It's disgusting to think about someone like Charles Darwin looking in a mirror and going, well, I think I found the perfect specimen. Everybody else is worse than me. Like really, really, really self-righteous. I mean, that's pride at a high, 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 high level. That's, it's pride almost like the Tower of Babel. Luke chapter 18 says this. Jesus tells this amazing parable. Verse 9. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. So I'm using that so that you understand. This is about self-righteousness. And they treated others with contempt. That's exactly what a racist does, is treat others with contempt. So he says in verse 10, two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed like this. God, I thank you that I'm not like that guy. (laughs) Like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Can you imagine being in the church and having somebody stand next to you and say, thank God I'm not like Kathy. Wouldn't that be terrible? This is, Jesus is giving this parable to these people who thought, well, look at me. So here's this guy and he's praying like this. Verse 12, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. The tax collector in verse 13, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. What does that tell you? It's a posture of pride? No, it's a posture of humility. He wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You think he was saying that because he heard that knucklehead, you should thank the Holy Spirit. He helps me every time I speak. Some of you will get that later. Anyway, do you think it's because of that? No. It's because he acknowledged and knew and understood that he was needing mercy. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Verse 14, Jesus stops the story and he says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. That parable is about self-righteousness and racism is pure self-righteousness. There's no humility involved. There's only pride. Number three, Racism violates the Great Commission. 
If you've been in church for a while, you'll know Jesus gave some parting words to his disciples. He said something like this, and we could all probably say, go into the world and preach the gospel, right? Like you, you understand that? Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. I want you to pay attention to this. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Hold on. Every nation. Not just the Jewish nation, Jesus came, opened up a way for every person from any tribe, any language, any race, any location, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of time, or to the end of the age. So racism violates the Great Commission, which says, go to all nations, all people. Number four, racism violates the Great Commandment. I hope you're speed riding, Miss Julie. (laughs) Racism violates the Great Commandment. John chapter 13, Jesus gives them a new commandment. Look at what he says in verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Ask yourself, did Jesus love Judas? Good, you answered well. Did Jesus love the Samaritan woman? The Samaritan woman, yes, you answered well. Jesus says, love others like I've loved you. You're also to love one another. Verse 35, by this all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Let me just stop there and say this. You might be sitting here thinking, going back to that self-righteousness thing, I just have the Holy Spirit help me with this. You might be thinking, Pastor, I'm no racist. I don't need this. But let me tell you what. If you are part and parcel or party to anyone with racist ideologies or spouting jokes, you have a responsibility to stop it. You do. Each one of us do. And sometimes people say stupid stuff and they just didn't think about it. And sometimes people say stupid stuff they're repeating that they heard when they were little and they didn't think about it. But they've got to have somebody as a light in their life to help them think about it. Amen? So we're not all scot-free. Okay? That's the point. So it violates the great commission. It violates the great commandment. Number five, it defies God's creation. In Acts chapter 17, Paul is preaching in the Areopagus in Athens. He's preaching to this crowded crowd of people in this great gathering. And he's talking to them. And in verse 26 of Acts chapter 17, he says this. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him yet he is actually not far from each one of us what a sermon what a powerful message his point is that he's trying to get across there is very important for he made 
all nations from one man. You say, well, Adam's gone and the flood came. Yep, well, who was on the boat? Noah, one man, his family, from those people. Then God continued to populate the earth. God wants us to understand race is not something he sees. It's something that we have devised. Number six, pastor, you're going fast. Yay, hip, hip, hooray. Come on now. This is, this is good. Lighten up. I know we're talking about something hard. But racism, this is something that's, I think it's important to the heart of God. And I honestly think the move in our worldview from understanding the Bible as God's word to understanding humanity to understanding their relationships together and how God designed that, to creation, and then to this true understanding of honoring God by not hating or doing anything towards another that could be considered racist is an important trajectory. It's an important path to be on. It's important for you, your kids, your grandkids, and every other generation that is to come so racism violates or defies god's creation and number six it defies god's plan well what is god's plan for everyone that's it for everyone look at what revelation chapter 5 says in verse 9 and 10 it says out of every tribe and tongue, and people, and nation. Listen to what it says. It says, they sang a new song, saying, worthy are you to take the scroll, and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood, you ransomed the people for God, from every tribe, and language, and people, and nation. And you have made them a kingdom, and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. This is something amazing and incredible to see. This is why we give to missions. But this is why we are also not supposed to be racist. It's both, it's both and. It's not either or. You can't just pay someone to go somewhere. You've also actually got to live a life that honors God in your daily speech, in your life, in your patterns, in your behavior. Thank you. I will. I've only got one page left, though, so <laughs> good timing. Number seven is this. Racism defies God himself. When I say defy, I mean stands in opposition, goes completely against. So racism goes against God's plan for creation. It goes against God's creation, actually humanity, and it goes against him himself. It actually is in complete opposition to his heart and his desire. How do I know this? Because the Bible tells me so. John chapter 3 verse 16. People who are not even believers can quote this verse. Because it's so popular and well known. I wish we would really, really grasp the depth of these 20 words. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever 
believes in him shouldn't perish, but should have everlasting life. So racism defies God himself. One last thing I I want to be crystal clear on, and the worship team can come and join me. Say, Pastor, how are you going to wrap this up? (laughs) Listen, there is something important to be said because the church of Jesus Christ has committed sin. You say, well, yeah, I'm sure some of them did. (laughs) No. The church of Jesus Christ throughout history has committed sins. Well, pastor, you didn't talk much about slavery. Slavery's in the Bible. How could God have... That's a a whole nother message for a whole nother day because I had to give you a history lesson for the United States and then a biblical history lesson today. But understand this. God didn't command those things. He allowed them, and he always gave a way out. He's all about rescue. But let me, let me explain to you this one thing to help it be crystal clear. And I say it with that preface of the church has been very wrong, gravely wrong in this one area. And that is, Interracial marriage is not forbidden by God. Interfaith marriage is. You say, well, that's not what I heard, Pastor, because, you know, when I was blah, blah, blah. Listen, I can't say this any stronger. I could, but um, you probably wouldn't want me back on the platform next Sunday. Read your Bible. This is in the dark ages. You have God's word. (laughs) So read it. So that you understand God was forbidding his people from marrying people of other faiths. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. That is immaterial. It matters what God you serve. God knew something about his creation. He knew something about the nature of humankind. He knew that there would be spouses who would be in constant contention over this and that eventually someone, some point, would be alienated. If a Buddhist marries a Christian, one of them is going to stay mad at each other and neither one of them is going to get to the same side and there's going to be a mess. The same thing was true back then. God said to my special people, Israel, when you go into these places, don't you marry those those women who believe in other things. Don't you marry those men who believe in other gods. You stick with the faith that you were given. I'm preaching really good this morning. Okay? This is, this is important for you to understand. Interracial marriage was never, never forbidden by God. It was only interfaith marriage. And can I still tell you that's true today? I, as a pastor, have have counseled dozens of couples premaritally before they get married. If y'all aren't on the same belief page, it's not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere with me. (laughs) I'm not helping you get to an altar. Because you've got to believe similarly in order to actually make this life cohesive together. So here's your step of action, your your action step. First thing I want you to do is stand up today. Stand up, shake out.
the two options for your step today is this. And I really believe that we should all be praying that the Lord would help us be ministers of his peace. I really truly do believe that. That we should be a light in a dark world and that we shouldn't contribute to that darkness. But you've got two action steps. You pray today, Lord, forgive me. Holy Spirit, reveal to me. Reveal to me the root of anything that doesn't please you that's in my heart. Lord, forgive me of any racist joke I've ever spoken. Forgive me of being party with anybody who's ever talked poorly or or violated that idea of your creation being beautiful in every way. God, help me. Forgive me. That's one, one option. The other is, God, would you forgive those and to help me to forgive those who have committed racism towards me. I truly believe that we should pray that God would do a work here in Mississippi, in our church, in our town, that God would help us reconcile and be able to actually walk according to his word. Because the body of Christ is beautiful. Your neighbors down here are going to look like your neighbors up there. Amen? It's a beautiful kingdom that God is king of. Close your eyes and bow your head. I'll let the Holy Spirit and you decide whether you need to give forgiveness or receive it today. Holy Spirit, I pray. Lord, your kindness leads us to repentance. God, I pray that you would help us. Help us today to see this ugly sin for what it truly has been. This stain and scar. And God, help us to move forward past it. Help us to be instruments of your peace in this dark world. And help us to be the light to those around us. God, forgive those who need forgiveness today, I pray, that are in this body. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to forgive those who have sinned against us. Lord, so that we would move forward into this beautiful unity in your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name we pray.